Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. So the Utah Jazz do it. They get the win. It's a familiar story, though. Although they won, it was not dominating. It was not impressive. It was, however, sufficient. It was uh, a nice performance under pressure. I mean, it's regular season December pressure. I get that. But nonetheless, playing the worst team in the East, the Jazz were down by six early in the fourth quarter. They put Rudy Gobert back in, and they stopped giving up layups and dunks because it was just open season going to the hoop, and the Hawks win. And as soon as Gobert came back, well, that changed everything. And the Jazz uh, get the other starters back in the game, and that closing lineup, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Bogdanovich, Gobert, Ingles and O'Neal, they put together a nice run. And the Jazz close strong and win the game, and down the stretch it was a – 24 to 13 run by the Jazz to close it. And it could have been worse than that, but Rudy Gobert missed four straight free throws at the end of the game. But still, the Jazz get the win, 111 106. I think many things about this game. Uh, One, if Rudy Gobert wants to be an all star, he needs to score more points. If he's going to score more points, he needs to make more free throws. Uh, He left a lot of points out there in that game last night. He was 10 of 19 at the free throw line. 15 of 19, he would have 25 points instead of having 20. You know who's now averaging 25 points a game? Donovan Mitchell. Another 30-point game. Did not shoot the three well, but still had a 30-point night. And still had five rebounds, still had five assists. Um, He was one of six for three. The Jazz as a team didn't shoot the three well. Uh, But they get the win. They got to the hoop a lot. Atlanta's not a good defensive team. And they drove, and they got a lot of high-percentage shots in and around the rim. Right at and around the rim. So Mitchell ends up with his 30. That was a strong performance. Uh... And shout-out to Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles, four offensive rebounds? I think that's probably a career high. I don't have that number in front of me. It's season high, I know that. Um, I suspect it's a career high. Jazz hitting the boards. Rudy Gobert had four boards, too. I wonder if Rudy said something and Joe went after him. Or maybe you know Atlanta did uh, shoot some threes. There were some long rebounds. So that's probably a factor, too. Uh, they missed 18 threes, so there were some long boards out there. But way to go, Joe. All right, Jazz get the win. Uh, we got the best of the Jazz postgame show coming up in the next segment, so uh, stay with us for that. Right now, the Road Home Mediathon continues. The number to call, 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, or go online to theroadhome.org. Uh, Wednesday night, they had 172 kids in the shelter. And I was down here yesterday in the morning for radio and then later in the day for TV and saw the school buses coming and going as all those, all those kids go to school. You can house a family for one night for $17. So if you can make that donation, 801-819-7300. PK and I talking with uh, Aspen Perry, board member uh, for The Road Home, and uh, some of her thoughts on why she does this and what she sees and uh, what she hopes for the future. Here's Aspen Perry. We're joined by Road Home board member Aspen Perry right now. Aspen, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Aspen, what a beautiful name. Thank you. <laughs> a little different. That conjures up colors. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I think of forests and mountains and, you know, Aspen, Colorado. Right, and the colors change in the fall. Oh, okay. I see where yes, you're going. Yeah. I see where you're going. The weed of the forest, the aspen oh, trees. Yeah. I was already all white covered in snow, but he's flashing back to, you know, the leaves turning. 
So what do people need to know about the road home? What is the number one common misconception out there right now? Is it still that it is closed or closing? You know, I do think people, now that we are here still, and the downtown, the physical shelter has closed, I do think people are now kind of understanding we are more than just a single building. But um, I think what a lot of people do not realize is that we do offer housing programs. Last night, 1,100 People, individuals, and families were in a home of their own because of the road home and and the work with our partners. Um, so yeah, we are more than just than just emergency shelter. So this is the first time we've been out here in this Midvale location, and mm-hmm. I saw a school bus, which I'm assuming they come to pick up kids. They do, yeah. And so they actually they come earlier than when the kids need to be there, specifically so that their peers at school don't know that they're in a homeless facility. They're the first pickup and the last drop-off. They are, yeah, yeah. And we've, you know, it, we've worked that out. And it's multiple ways to get them there, too. So we have the buses, but then there are kids that, where the buses can't pick them up. So either case managers will come out and drive them every day, shuttle services. We, we do whatever we can to, to have as little disruption as possible to the lives of the children when they face homelessness. 172 kids in the shelter last night. So for those kids, yep. they have the option by law of going either to the nearest school here yep. or going to the school they were at wherever their last residence was? They do, yeah. And we have worked that out with the school districts where they can stay in their school. It's just another thing where we've noticed in past, you know, kids succeed more with less uh, disruption, right? They're already, they've already been removed from their home. You try to do as much as you can to keep it as many constants as possible in their life to help them succeed. So... So, yeah, they have the option. It's nice. I can speak to that. I got a little experience dealing with that. And I can tell you that that does matter. But, you know, the point is, when we think of homelessness, I don't know that we think enough of the children. I I completely agree. You know, an interesting thing, too, especially in cases of of older individuals facing chronic homelessness, where they kind of constantly find themselves back out of housing, most of them did grow up facing homelessness themselves as a child. So we're really trying to work and find the programs to help that not happen in the future of the children now. Make sure that they have what they need so that they don't face that same pattern when they become adults. Aspen Perry, Road Home Board member, joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. You can donate online right now, theroadhome.org, or you can call 801-819-7300. So... There's, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into homelessness, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of paths to ending up homeless. Oh, yeah. But it seems that one that is becoming more common in Utah, but also in other cities, housing prices are through the roof. So they you're are. seeing a lot of working poor people here have jobs, but they're homeless because they got hit with a $100 rent increase, and maybe they absorbed that, but they got hit with another $100 increase. And as long as we keep seeing these stories that there's 2 and 3% vacancy rates, that's going to lead to more homelessness for more people it is yeah. yeah and it's something that we're definitely concerned about you know we're as the road home board member i know we constantly we're having our people in the legislature try to push for deeply affordable housing um, it is a concern i mean right now the smallest thing can set a person back a hundred dollar hospital bill so many families have to choose between taking their kid to the doctor when they're sick or paying a gas bill or their rent because rents are so high and and, you know, health insurance is going up. Everything is costing more. So, yeah, it is, it's, it's a concern. So one thing I think you're having to work out now with the new location, how do you get people who need health care to the 4th Street Clinic? 
How do you feed people? Because it used to be right across the street, St. Mm-hmm. Vincent de Paul, and partnered with the Utah Food Bank, and they provided a lot of food there, and now all that's got to be worked out. Yeah, so we do still have the partnerships, which is amazing. Forest Street Clinic, they actually come by, I know, weekly. I think that we're even trying to get them through more. They have a big mobile RV that they come through with to check people out. So that is one thing. If, if they do need to get something specifically done at the clinic, then we work out transportation for them. Uh, their case workers, case managers work out transportation for them. And then for the food, one of the really nice things with the resource centers is there is no more waiting in food lines. It's part of, you know, meals are part of the process of being in the resource centers. So the nice thing with the new resource centers is they really do provide more individual care. Um, so, so yeah, there's kind of trying to streamline access to the things people need because they need to get to a lot of times too. This is another common misconception is that people who are homeless don't work and that's not the case. We've had to, for our men's resource center, we've had to work out transportation with UTA to make sure that our men who are downtown could still access their jobs downtown. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into <laughs> making sure you're taking care of your people and making sure that nobody falls through the cracks. The number is 801-819-7300. If you want to donate to The Road Home right now, 801-819-7300, or go to theroadhome.org. And the next $100 donation, you get your choice of jazz tickets to either see the Knicks, the Hornets, or the Pacers. So for a $100 donation, you can go to a jazz game. That sounds like an amazing deal. There it is. All right. Aspen, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you guys being down here. I can't thank you enough. Aspen Perry, board member of The Road Home. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There's Aspen Perry, board member for The Road Home, DJ and PK. You want to donate, log on, theroadhome.org. You can make your donation there. Or you can go to uh, the phone and pick it up and go 801-819-7300. Dial 801-819-7300. You can make your donation there. All right, DJ and PK, we're taking a break. When we come back, best of the jazz postgame show and running back Zach Moss. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. All right, time to talk a little college football. We're getting right down to it. The uh, bowl games start tonight. We got a couple games today. I think the Bahama Bowl is first. And then Frisco, Texas. The Utah State Aggies. Man, Gary. Gary was worked up. Gary is wishing bad things on reporters. He did not like the story and the reporting um, about the marijuana use by uh, Aggie players and the charges from police and or the arrest by police and that. And um, he is not happy. Gary. We can get into this later in the show. But man, I've had multiple people who love the Aggies, and this isn't the first time I've heard it, that, you know, Gary emotionally, it's been a roller coaster for him this year, and it's wearing out the people around him. It's not a positive. It'll be interesting to see if in the second year he can dial it back and, and calm down a little bit and keep a more even keel, or if these uh, wild swings are going to lead to a shorter tenure for him. Um, with the Aggies than maybe some of us, including me, expected uh, when he took the job. There's a lot of predictions out there. 
uh, is interesting, but I just thought that was a really emotional reaction, but not, not the first one from what we've been told either. Um, so anyway, the Aggies play tonight, and then the Cougars play on New Year's on uh, Christmas Eve, and the Utes play on New Year's Eve. Zach Moss meeting with the media, talking about why he's decided to play, and you know he's, he's got a lot of money on the line. He's he's going to get drafted. I think he's going to get drafted fairly early. I think probably a second day guy. It'd be some pretty good money for him there. And as a running back, you know you don't have the longest career window, but he's thought about it. He wants to play, and that's one of the things he talks about as he meets with the media. Does Texas remind you of any Pac-12 opponents you faced? Uh, we haven't really watched too much film on them, but we know they're big and they're long and they're lanky. Um, very talented team. Um, I couldn't say directly which team, but they're a very good team. So, uh, I mean, it's going to be fun. What has kind of been the vibe this week coming back off the last week? Just trying to put that last game behind us, you know, uh, and just trying to go out here and make sure we attack this game, you know, not just for our scenes, but for the next team uh, next year and just catapulting the team into the next season, so getting things off on the right foot. Zach, a lot of seniors nationally sit out bowl games, get ready for the NFL now. What led to your decision to play? I just wanted to play with my guys, you know. Um, I mean, it's one of the reasons I came back was to play with these guys again, and I definitely want to go ahead and finish it off, you know. I'm healthy enough to go ahead and play, so uh, I mean, that's what, exactly what I wanted to do. So, Have you guys talked as a group and decided to do that, or is that more an individual thing? Uh, it's just been all individuals. You know, um, the guys love this team, love the program, love the coaching, you know, the fans and, you know, the community. So uh, why not give everyone just one more, you know. Zach, just given the injury history and, you know, the heading that you've had during your career, was there at least uh, a conversation about playing a bowl game or not playing a bowl game? Um, no, um, I let the, my coaches know, uh, I think, what's today, Friday or Saturday? Saturday. Saturday. Uh, I think I let them know Tuesday or Wednesday that I was going to play, so, um, that's, well, like, they've taken care of me all year, getting me out of games early and things like that, so this being the last game, um, you know, and all the other stuff at the back end that they know exactly how to handle that, so I have no worries about that. Last year, the team lost the bowl game, so it was back-to-back losses to end the season. Is that a pretty big downer and something you're definitely looking at not repeating this year? Yeah, you never want to uh, end the season off two losses or a loss, uh, you know. So um, we definitely want to make sure we go out here and uh, handle our business the right way. In that vein, do you, do you think it would be difficult at all to overcome the hangover, so to speak? No. Um, I mean, it had been about a couple of couple weeks <laughs> by the time the game comes around um, and guys will be eager and just energized to play again. Um, so we can't, uh, and our coach has done a really good job just making sure that everyone doesn't, you know, linger on that loss or can't allow it to seep into our practices and getting ready for this game. Has Kyle told you guys about the lousy record of teams that lose the Pac-12 title game, what happens when they go to bowls? Uh, no. Um, I know we have a really good record, track record of winning bowl games here and. uh I mean, our bowl approach, how we practice, I mean, we just had gases today. So uh, we don't take it very lightly. So we're going to come out and be prepared. Can you give some insight into what the bowl preparation is under Coach Witt? It's, it's trying to be a 12-2 and two now as a, as a coach that's second in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. What is What is he kind of focus on when it comes to bowl prep? Just making sure guys still locked in, you know, making sure that we're getting the work in, um, shorter periods or whatever. Uh, so just making sure that we get the best work we can get while also keeping us fresh as we uh, approach the game and things like that. Did, did missing out on last year's bowl game feel you personally to want to play in this last one? No, just, you know, just want to be back with the guys. Yeah. I mean, last year, uh, it was last year, so.
What does it mean to be able to suit up one last time? Uh, it's, it's special, you know. Um, didn't don't want to lose and be the last game of my career here. So uh, hopefully we can get a win here, um, host up that trophy at the end of that game. So it'd be really special. Florida to Texas is a long way, but since it's your last game, will you have a lot of friends and family at it? Uh, hopefully. Um, you know, I'm shooting to have my, my parents there, my brothers and sisters. Um, I know I have one of my cousins coming, so uh, we'll see who all turns out. <laughs> Zach, I know you still have a game left, but when you first committed to Utah several years ago, did you ever envision your career going down the route that it's gone and getting to this point? No, you can't really, you know, map out. You can have aspirations and you know, um, but I couldn't sit here and tell you four years ago that I'd be talking about this or records or you know playing in two. I mean, well, Pac-12 championship game, me personally, and things like that. But uh, you know, it's just been a blessing to uh, be here. Um, I've loved it, and, and I mean, it's, it's definitely somewhere in my heart that uh, I always hold cherish it. There's Utah running back Zach Moss. All right, time to get to the best of the Jazz post-game show. The Jazz, it's a familiar story. Behind, early fourth quarter, put the starters in, play better defense, hit clutch shots, take control and win the game. The Jazz are not deep, especially with Conley out. I did think that that was a better effort by Moutier. I thought he gave some energy, made some plays. Uh, was it perfect? No, if you're, if you're gripping the steering wheel and screaming, what about this, what about that? Yeah, you know, you can find stuff that was wrong. But I still thought it was... As a spark, it was one of his better games. And I think the fact he got left in for 19 minutes is partly a reflection that um, Mike Conley's out, and so there are fewer options. But also, I think he played pretty well. I think they could have gone with somebody else. You know, when things have gotten really ugly, they, they've gone to Dante and said, all right, Dante, let's see what you got tonight. But they didn't give Dante that chance. They stuck with Moutier. So 10 points, four rebounds, had an assist, blocked a shot. Just, just thought... Just a little bit of an energy and a spark. Um, and then, really, they just rode the five starters. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And Donovan Mitchell gave him another 30-point game. That's eight of them. He's averaging 25 points a game. Puts him in the top 12 in the league. He's basically scoring at the same clip as LeBron James. So that's a pretty good clip. 25 points a game, That's uh, you're getting into pretty rarefied air, and it doesn't feel like he's tapped out. There's stuff he can do better. Last night, it's, and I think it's always different. Last night he didn't shoot the three very well. Uh, one for six, so clearly he could have done that better. I still, I still think he can get to the line more. Now, part of it, he, he was aggressive against the Hawks, but they just didn't foul him. <laughs> he got layups. And so the Jazz get the win, and they come back. Here's the best of the Jazz postgame show. It's your Jazz Recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Jazz beat the Hawks last night, 111-106 in Atlanta, behind 30 points from Donovan Mitchell, who was terrific. Took over the game at the end of the fourth quarter to lead the Jazz to the win. He was 12 of 22 uh, for those 30 points. He also added five assists to go along with his five rebounds. Uh, Rudy Gobert, terrific last night. Once again, 20 points and 13 rebounds. He went to the line. 19 times. Rudy was 10 of 19 from the line. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, 19 points, uh, 6 of 16 shooting. Joe 
Ingles uh, with 14.7 boards and five assists. Manuel Moutier with a nice night coming off the bench uh, with 10 points. Not the, the prettiest game of Jazz basketball, certainly, that we've seen, but some uh, plucky play at the end, and they pull it out for their fourth straight victory. Let's get you some post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Um, in physical with us offensively, um, which impacted us early. The, you know, the ball stopped, um, but that's you know, our determination and force, but that was also obviously how they came out. Um, and, you know, I was happy to see us, you know, stabilize the second half, defend, you know, and, and play with more force offensively. Coach, it seemed like you won, uh, well, you did win the um, 50-50 balls. Mm-hmm. you think that was the factor in winning the game? That was a big factor. I, I think more than, maybe more than the 50-50 balls, the job that, you know, Royce was able to do late, um, was terrific. I thought we had some really good individual defensive efforts. Um, you know, and I mentioned fouling, but there are a number of situations where we didn't foul. Um, you know, and there, there's they, you know, they take threes, and um, there's situations where there are long rebounds, and those are the things we got to track down um, because they give you an opportunity to go the other way as well. Second game, second story game that Donovan's really closed in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. Um, can you talk about just the way he's kind of let the game come to him in the last Yeah, I think it's, it's one of the reasons I think early that we were a little stagnant um, because, you know, we want him, you know, to be that aggressive and, you know, at the right time in the game. It's hard to do that for, you know, 36, 38 minutes. Uh, so for us to be able to move the ball and everybody touch it and have it come back to them and you know, that's the key for us is to trust each other and then obviously at the end of the game we trust on them. With the threes not dropping in, was there kind of a more conscious decision to go to the basket in the second half? Um, you know, I, I think that's what was available. Um, you know, it looked that way to me with Donovan, although I didn't ever feel like I don't. I didn't feel like he hesitated um, to shoot. You know, he sh- I think he shot six of them. Um, but you know, his ability to get to the rim. Um, you know, and that, that's it's always important, especially when you have a chance to get to the foul line. And you know, there was a lot of things offensively that we didn't recognize. They were they were switching and some things that we have to do a better job at seeing and executing. But. The plays that you're describing with Donovan attacking the rim, we did recognize. How did you feel about the, uh, the overall ball movement? It seemed like it was a little spotty to start with. Yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody evaluates our ball movement more than me. Um, and I think our team understands that, too. That was kind of my point earlier. A lot of that um, was Atlanta. You know, denying passes, denying they were trying to blow handoffs up. And when that happens, you know, you have to you have to think, first of all, if they're switching, you have to slip and cut. And you know, then there's other situations where you, you need multiple actions. And those things are hard. You know, you, you, you're forced to make plays in order to move the ball. And that's why that's why it's hard, you know, but you've got to be determined to do it. And, you know, those those execution situations we have to keep working on. Atlanta played 6-23, but yet still they play hard today. What yeah. What is it about this Hawks team that makes them a hard contender? Well, I mean, they played they played really hard tonight, and they were aggressive defensively. Um, you know, I thought they attacked. They, they knocked us back uh, on the defensive end, particularly early in the game. Um, and, you know, young players that play hard, you know, those guys, 
they just they get better. And obviously Trey Young's just really hard to guard. And you know Jabari had a good night, you know, attacking off the dribble. And you know they've got a lot of guys that are capable of making plays. Are you satisfied with the way the te- uh, your team was able to react to uh, the, the defense you just spoke of from Atlanta, being, taking away a lot of the options that they usually try to get to? Yeah, you know, I, I thought again we had some really good individual efforts. Rudy obviously made some plays at the end. I thought he, you know, in spite of the foul line and maybe not finishing as much as I think he's capable of, he really he did it when it counted uh, on both ends, and a lot of that for us is communication and we're getting a little bit better at that there you go that is quinn snyder as his team uh, beat the atlanta hawks last night 111 106 let's now uh, take you inside the locker room and let you hear from royce o'neill back in the huge fourth quarter so what is that showing showing you guys uh just how much resilience we have you know always fighting to the end not giving up any possessions take me through that fourth quarter rally and just the mentality the determination the focus uh i mean everybody just locking in on defensive end you know getting the important stops that we needed and then coming out on office and you know getting fast break layups or executing the half court you know closing out possessions could you feel the energy from the block that you got down the stretch as well as that steal uh yeah definitely i mean uh you know to turn everybody up you know the uh, crowd got into it you know and then we fed off the energy so you and donovan obviously known each other for so long what is it that you see in him when the light switches on and he just takes over uh, oh no, he be shooting the ball too much. I'm not but you know, he just, you know, he just, uh, he's a closer. He likes to create at the end, uh, whether he has his own shot or you know, kicking it out to somebody else. I mean, uh, we trust him with the ball, then make plays for either himself or everybody else, basically in the offensive end. Last thing I want to ask you, Justin, we talk about the spacing, the ball movement on offense. I know in the first half was different than the second. What did you see as the difference there, and where do you guys want to be with that? I think just us getting comfortable, you know, uh, reading situations, reading plays, uh, you know, whoever's a high guy, try to get them going. Like really just spacing out, you know, uh, passing the ball, moving the ball around, getting easy shots for each other. That was Royce O'Neal, who had five points, but he did have seven rebounds, a couple assists, three steals, spent a lot of the night deeing up Trey Young and did a, a really terrific job at that. Now let's let you hear the walk-off interview with David Locke and Rudy Gobert. Thank you very much for taking the time. You guys have been very good in close games this year. What's allowed you to pull off all of these close games? I think in games that are within five points in the final five minutes, you have the second most amount of wins in the league. What's allowed you to do it? I think we just... Uh have a different sense of urgency at the end of the games and uh, our focus is better you know i think we some games we don't start the we don't start the right way and uh you know throughout the game we just get you know a little more sharp defensive rating was very good tonight you said the other night you feel like the defensive intensity is returning do you still feel that way definitely you know i think we we know we know the team can be defensively and the team that we are and we know the little things that we have to do in order for for us to be as good as we can be. And tonight, I think we we had a few turnovers that hurt us. But beside that, I think we did a great job. You are somewhat of a one-man wrecking crew rebounding right now. You guys are the third best defensive rebounding team in the league. What is what is your commitment to that defensive glass? Uh, it's just a team effort. You know, I know, I know, we know that. You know, we, we lost a few games because of that. And uh, we know that, you know, guys are going to try to crash the balls. And we know that if, if we get those balls, we're going to be able to run on them. So it's very key for our defense. All right, this is my most important question of the night for you, Rudy. They are currently Christmas caroling here in the arena and having fake snow come from the top of the roof. 
Does the French Riviera of you enjoy <laughs> fake snow or real snow more? Uh, I think none. <laughs> neither. <laughs> neither. <laughs> You'll take the French Riviera and the sun uh, with no the, shirt I'll on, right? Sand. I'll take the sand of all the snow. <laughs> all right. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rudy. That was Rudy Gobert, 20 points last night, 13 rebounds, 5 of 9 from the field, 10 of 19 from the line, uh, and he had one huge block shot, shot down the stretch that uh, sealed the deal for the Utah Jazz as they come away with a 111-106 victory. There is the best of the Jazz postgame show. When we come back, PK and I talking Utah football with Steve Tate, Morgan Scally, coach in waiting. Steve played with him, has known him well, known him for a long time. We'll talk with Steve next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in Steve Tate, former Utah safety, founder of the Hayes Strong Foundation. Steve, good morning. DJ, what's going on, man? Well, it isn't exactly news out of the U, but, you know, there's dots there, and we're connecting them. And we wonder what you think. Morgan uh, Morgan Scally's got an an amended contract, and we've had both the athletic director and the head coach give him just glowing praise. And then PK asked him directly about succeeding Kyle and didn't want to talk about it. Which makes me think, well, there must have been some talk about it. If you don't want to talk about, has there been talk about it? <laughs> All ambiguous. Uh, you know, I, I think I think it's evident right now uh, Morgan is, is certainly uh, the next in line for that, for that coaching position. I think, you know, it's a guy who knows the program, uh, familiar with, obviously, in-state recruiting. Um, Familiarity is, is huge. I, I think uh, obviously you saw it with Coach with with Urban, and then when Coach Whittingham took over. I think you know sometimes that familiarity component um, when you when you're finding a, a successor is is more important than anything else. Uh, you know, I, I kind of look at uh, what Boise State has done over the years, and for the most part, they've they've gone with guys that uh, that are familiar with the program. And you know it, it's it's hard to build a successful program in college football, um, and it's hard to keep a program successful. Uh, look at you know look at the, the USC turnover and, and UCLA turnover, and you know Oregon went through it a little bit, uh, although not for long. But you, I, I think having having familiarity in the program and uh, consistency is 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 probably a top priority when it comes to these athletic directors. So you've been around Scally for a long time. When we worked with them for a little bit, you've played with them, and I'm sure you've been friends with them and have maintained that relationship. To me, if you're looking at a human being, I don't know that you're going to find a finer person. I think we can all say that. But what do you think about him that would make him an excellent head coach? Well, I think I think uh, Morgan is is a guy that uh, you know kids love, guys love being around him. Uh, you know, recruits enjoy him he's a guy he's personable so i think first and foremost he's a great recruiter um 
obviously defensively, uh, he's 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 been trained under uh, under Coach Whittingham. He's a player that that knows the system uh, when he played, but also he's been able to evolve that into a coaching position. And you know, he, I think the, the the thing with Morgan, as you as you know, is uh, he's a guy that that relates to kids and and families and uh, and and that's all. When it comes down to it, you, you got to be a salesman for your program. You've got to earn the respect of, uh, of of parents and the recruits, and, and Morgan can do that. Uh, Morgan is is one of those guys that gets along with anybody. Steve Tate, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Did you see Morgan as a coach when you guys were playing? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, we you kind of all always knew that Morgan uh, aspired to be a, a, a coach. You know, he was uh, obviously a great captain when he when he played there and a guy we all looked up to and um it, i don't think it surprised any of us you know I, I don't shoot he was so bad at radio he had to go to somewhere else right <laughs> nice well played <laughs> so you played when you were there at the u kyle was the defensive coordinator correct when i was at the well he, one year so he was my defensive coordinator and then I had Coach Whittingham for three years uh, following. So I had Urban one year and Coach Whittingham three years after that. So I think Kyle learned how to coach defense from his father. And then Kyle, or, uh, Morgan and really Kalani and uh, Gary, they're, they were learning it from Kyle. So there's steeped in that tradition there that can be carried on. And we've seen – Obviously, the defense this year, with the exception of one or two games, was outstanding. Uh, what makes Kyle a great coordinator of defenses and that Morgan has been able to pick up on it so that you would naturally assume that it would continue when Morgan takes over? Yeah, you know, a system that Utah runs is, is very unique. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's challenging. It's a system that I don't think a lot of uh, college prog- uh, college programs can uh, implement, only because of uh, this. You know, I think the the skill that it that it takes, the the, the mental challenge, uh, the uniqueness of it. There's always adjustments, uh, and it, it's hard to implement that that system. And Coach Whittingham's been able to do it. Obviously, uh, you know, it was with with Fred Whittingham. He was a guy that that brought it. You know, kind of that. I'd say it's it's similar to what the pros run. You know, it's not always man to man. You have a lot of cover three. You bring in a lot of blitzes, unique blitzes. Um, you know, you don't see a lot of teams blitzing their safeties routinely. Um, I, you know, I made a living doing that, and, and that's just uh, you know, I was fortunate to be a part of a program that that does that. And and you know, I think they maximize player um, players' talents, and it's it's one of those where it's a plug and play system uh, on defense. And you don't see that all the time. It, you're setting yourself up for success. You know, you go through over the years, and, and players are always um, defensively. You can always count on those guys. If one guy leaves or goes pro, you know, they're, they're, they, you really don't miss a beat. You, you have a new guy come in and, and, and replace it. And, it, you know, it's, you, see it, you see it in offenses, but you don't always see it in defenses. And, and I think Morgan, obviously, the player that helps him. Uh, he was able to see it as a player. And I think – I think that that actually gives him uh, uh, the upper hand when he's when he's calling a defense is because you know the player 
you knew what you liked. You knew uh, when, an, when an offense comes out, you knew the adjustments to make, and, and Morgan's been able to do that. And I think that, that's a big reason why this defense has continued to be successful under, under him. You know, uh, you, these schools build up reputations, and it's uh, and I think fan bases can think, well, this school is always good at this. Well, they're not. It's the coaches yeah. who are good at it. You know, Utah's had a bunch of really good defensive linemen come through, just one after another, but that's because Kyle's there, and it's the same way with the defensive backs. Now, the next coach might have more success with, you know, bringing in big-time receivers or something. Do you think that Morgan's so plugged into the recruiting that what they've done at defensive line and defensive back – will continue on, or will those groups look different over time because it's got Kyle's imprint on it? Assuming it's Morgan in the long run. Um, yeah, I, I think they're, I think it'll continue. I, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of similar recruiting strategies. I don't think those recruiting strategies will change. Um, you, you know, but there, there will be, there will be a, a transition period. And, you know, I think you guys were alluding to it before behind you, but it, even with Coach Whittingham, you know, when he took over um, for, for Urban, there was, you know, learning curve. Uh, college, you know, coaching in college, it's, it's, it's difficult. There's a big, big learning curve. And, and even with uh, a smooth transition and familiarity, you know, these coaches that, that then assume the head role, they've got to kind of fill themselves out on what they, what they like or, or, or what, they're, you know, what, what they're comfortable with or what kind of offense they want to run. So I think they're, you know, if if and when Morgan takes that, assuming he will, that you know, I think fans should expect a little bit of a learning curve, and and, and that's normal. Um, and and you know, patience is everything from a fan base, but you know, Morgan, I think should have the same recruiting strategy. I think, uh, as you mentioned, you know, it is a kind of a plug and play system, and you know, I, I remember when I was my senior year when I was going to you know the senior bowl games and and uh, meeting with scouts and being in the interviews with some of the GMs and, you know, routinely uh, I would hear it routinely about how Utah just keeps um, putting out the safeties. You know, they were, they were kind of known for their safeties to start out. Now, obviously defensive linemen um, is, is another <laughs> huge uh, asset that Utah's been able to do, but I, I don't think that recruiting strategy will change. I, I'd be shocked if it did now, but, but again, I think there, there will be a transitional period and a learning curve for, for anybody that, that assumes that, that head coaching role, if, if, in, if, if it's their first position, obviously. So you were a star high school quarterback at Skyline, I think, and you actually played at Utah State. And there was this up-and-coming reporter who interviewed you when you committed to <laughs> Utah State. Do you remember who that was? The one and only, PK. <laughs> we're going back 30 years almost, man. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm getting old. It's... Uh... Like when Leah Wodrowska, she she was my she re, was also with you there, uh, yeah. PK, and and uh, now she's retired, and I'm, that just means I'm old and you're older. That's all that means. That's exactly what it means. And so you, and then you finish your career, obviously playing at the youth for the youths, and you said something there that I think is really the key at coaching at any level. I don't care what level. You probably I know you're coaching your son and and sons and all that stuff, and it it. it 
involves maximizing the ta- the talent that's available. And you use that phrase, maximizing talent. And that's one of the things that I think that has made Utah be really successful over the years is the ability to maximize talent, the ability to look at guys, you being a quarterback in high school, and then they see that, okay, where you need to be is in the defensive backfield. And in my conversations with Morgan over the years, it seems to me he's got that skill. And that might be, along with the ability to be that salesman and be personable, as you say, I think the second most important quality of a coach is to be able to have an eye for a talent and figure out your player position whatever in high school but when you get to us you're going to be doing this and you're going to be doing it well can you put your uh, arms around to explain how it is that some guys have that ability to look at a player who is an option quarterback in high school and seeing them four or five years later being a star safety like in your case and how difficult it is to be able to maximize the talent and have that eye for talent. Yeah. No, I, I, you're, you're dead on. You're spot on with that. I think, um, you know, Utah's always had that unique ability to, to, to look at players and, and not see them as, a, as, as who they are now, but see them five, five years from now. And, you know, I, obviously you gave myself as an example, former quarterback, uh, you know, of course, would have loved to play quarterback, but I trusted the coaches and, and what they saw. And then, you know, success also helps with that. You know, you look at these coaches and their track record, and, and then you, you trust what, what they say. Um, but I, I think, you know, one of, the, one of the examples I gave is a guy like Stevenson Sylvester. Stevenson Sylvester came in, and, and he, was, uh, he came in as a linebacker, and he was just this lengthy – we called him the Goodyear, the Goodyear, uh, the Goodyear man because, you know, those, 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 got those signs that are the, the inflatable things with big arms and legs outside of a Goodyear <laughs> with the, the tire station. That was, that was Stevenson Sylvester. He was just this lengthy uh, recruit, and, and everyone said he's going to play linebacker. And, and he was smaller than any of the safeties, defensive backs were like, how is this guy going to play linebacker? And then, you know, he registered one year, and then he got in the weight room, and they put on weight, and next thing you know, Stevenson Sylvester is this uh, amazing linebacker that goes and plays in the NFL for four years for the Steelers. And, and nobody, nobody would have done that. Nobody would have been able to seen that. Um, and, I, I, you know, I think it's just credit to the, the coaches. I think it's interesting. My senior year, um, when I was a lot in the film room and kind of uh, uh, hanging out with the coaches, even off the field, just in, in, in the film room and, you know, getting a grasp of what they do, I, I ended up getting my hands on uh, one of their binders that was their recruiting profile binder. And it was really interesting because I, I opened up that binder and it had position breakdown of what they look for. And I'll just give you, you know, an example. Um, it, uh, so safety position, uh, it had a list of what they look for, criteria that meet the, the safety that they want to uh, have, have play for them. And it was former quarterback. And uh, the other one, which I thought was interesting, the, it was a captain. And it was uh, a center field baseball player. And it was kind of it goes through like six or seven criteria that they look for um, in a safety, and in uh, they had it, it had that every position um, in their recruiting binder of what they look for and the criteria that they want to be met in order to recruit a player. 
You know, I always find that so interesting because Kyle has talked about multi-sport athletes. He's a big fan of them. Louis Sakota, yeah. King Louis, you know, this kicker who made all these pressure kicks and asked why about it once. Kyle said, I can't tell you exactly why, but I knew he had it because they went and saw him uh, pitch in a high school baseball game. He said he's a pitcher. He's on the mound. Everything's on him. Nothing happens. And he's got to have total confidence in that moment. When, you know, when he throws that pitch. And he said, I knew yeah. he would have confidence in the moment as a kicker because I watched him pitch in that game. He loves the multi-sport athlete. For all the parents out there who are wondering when their kids should specialize, it depends on where you want to play and what you want to do. But if you want to play football at the U for Kyle Whittingham, play multiple sports because he loves that stuff. All right, last thing before we let you go. Tyler tweets at us, asked Steve Tate about his undefeated Bannon team, the most dominant Ute Conference team ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Those are my, my boys. We gave up six points and we scored 560. Well, who goofed on the six and how many laps did they have to run? Drop and give me 40. <laughs> You're right. When we gave up the six, it was, disappoint- it was a total disappointment. But I made them run. Don't, of course I made them run. No, it, it, those guys were fun. I love I loved coaching them. They'll be a special group when they, when they uh, get to high school. Which schools are recruiting them? Recruiting them? My son? Yeah, the high schools. Jeez. Not the colleges, oh, the high schools. You know, no, I, you know, I, it's important. I just want, want them to play with his friends. You know, I think it, it, making sure they enjoy their youth, that's huge. You know, I think so much of these parents nowadays, uh, you see it in the Super League parents. I call them the Super League parents when, you know, they're, they're traveling their kid to and from every different team to get them looked at. And, you know, at the end of the day, Go have fun with your friends. If you're good enough, you're good enough. Uh, but yeah, you know, never get caught up. No, don't get caught up in that Super League parent mentality. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> good advice, right. but in one ear and out the other. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, Steve. Well, we appreciate it. A few minutes. Thanks for coming on with us. Always fun, guys. It's been been too long. There's the former Ute, Steve Tate. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.